Okay, are you ready for a sermon? Okay. I'm not giving you one today. I've changed my mind. Here's the thing. When I preach, I like participation and engagement. So this is going to be more like a class because this isn't really a big church setting. This is more like a classroom setting. So I don't want to preach today. I just want to have class. How's that? Can we do that this morning? Plus, you know what? I don't really like preaching, to be honest with you. I've told you this before, and Ed Ray still bothers me about it. You know, he still asks. I tell him I don't like preaching. And do you know why I don't like preaching? Because it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to stand in front of you knowing that you will go home and critique me. Because you all do. I do it. All of us do it, right? Come on. We go home, and we talk about the sermon. If it was good. If it's bad, then we just say it's bad and we don't talk about it at all. Right? So, this morning I want you to participate and engage with me. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit that he will not only fill me, that he will fill you. Is that fair? Because when I come to preach, I feel like Isaiah. You know what Isaiah says? That he, when he was in the presence of God, which we are in the presence of God, that he felt that he had such unclean lips. Because like Renee's prayer, we have fallen through the week. Right? There's not one of us that's here that is perfect. There's not one of us that hasn't said something that we regretted. There's not one of us that has done something that we shouldn't have done. Or said. Or thought. But we come here. And we ask the Lord to be with us and to come into our hearts, to change our hearts so that we might do better this week coming up. Does that make sense? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning or this afternoon already, we ask that you be with us. I pray that this will not be a sermon, but this will be a class of participation, a place where we can engage and come and reason together. Because that's what you say to do. And we want to do that this morning. I ask that you will fill us with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, here is the title of my sermon. Did you read it? There are four things that God does not know. And before you start throwing rocks at me, before you start saying that I am full of blasphemy, hold on. Hold on. Because the word... No can have two different meanings. There are four things that God does not know. Are you ready? Number one, God does not know a sin he does not hate. God does not know a sin he does not hate. What are the sins that God hates? Don't look at me. Come on, talk. What are the sins that God hates? What? All sin. Right? What are some of them specific sins that he hates? He says it. To sin against the Holy Spirit. We're going to cover that in this lesson. What was that? Other gods. gods. That's a big one, right? Graven images. Other gods. God said, I am the God. The only God. In fact, there is a power, a church that I won't mention even though you're all Seventh-day Adventists here and you know what I'm talking about. I just saw this in Denver, the Ten Commandments, and the second one is done away with. Did you know that? 
Thou shalt not have graven images is done away with. And the tenth one is two parts. All right? There is a system that has done that, and I think I, you know what the system is, right? My parents came out of that church, and we know that idolatry is one thing that God really hated in the Old Testament. Boy, did he get mad when, you know, the women of other pagans, Cultures would bring the men to do what they did. We won't even go there. We're not going to make this lecture rated our lecture at all. We're going to keep it G. Okay? But you know what I'm talking about. So idolatry is big. That's a good answer. What else does God hate? Pride. pride. That's number one. Of all the sins that God hates, pride is number one. Interesting, isn't it? And guess what? We can hide our pride. We do a pretty good job of it, you know. We can hide our pride. It gets hurt, but we do a good job of, of hiding that. He, he hates covetousness. What else does he hate? Dishonesty. You could do a whole sermon on the sins that God hates, have the benediction, and we could just all leave, right? Because he hates sin. What is the best text to show how much God hates sin? Let's try to guess. What do you think the best text to show that God hates sin? I'm going to give you a guess. It's in the New Testament. Okay? Still don't have it? Okay, it's in one of the Gospels. We're going to get there. John 3.16. Very good. I was going to say the one that we all learn when we're kids. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? His only son. That whosoever believeth in him should what? Not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. God hated sin so much that he emptied heaven in the person of his son to come here, live amongst us, live a perfect life. We studied this about in Sabbath school, and then die for us. That's how much he hated sin. Now think about that for a second. Because I love my sons. I love my sons with all my heart. I just recently went on a job interview, and I'm not going to take this job, I don't think I am, because of my sons. Why? Because I don't want to leave my sons. One of my sons is in California. He's moving back. That's why I don't want to take the job. Because I love my children. My two boys are my world. And are they a mess? Absolutely. Are they punks? Absolutely. Have they made my life crazy? Absolutely. But as you sit there, do you love your children? Would you do anything for them? We are God's children. And God did so much that he gave his own son for the rest of his children. That is powerful. That is absolutely powerful. God does not know a sin he does not hate, but why? Why does God hate sin? Because it hurts us. It hurts us. It hurts us. It destroys us. Do you know anyone that hates diabetes? Does anyone in your family have diabetes? Okay. No one in your family has diabetes? Some of us have family members that have diabetes. But it doesn't take too long to find someone that likes German chocolate cake or 
chocolate ice cream and my favorite, that yogurt shore and casserole. Man, I'd like to go there every day. And with my wife doesn't know this because if she knew that I was buying an ice cream cone at McDonald's, she knows I snore that night. I have to sneak over to McDonald's and get that ice cream cone and eat it so she won't know it. I have to get rid of the wrapper so she won't see it. But it's not good for me. It hurts me. It doesn't take long. Do you know anyone who hates lung cancer? Oh, I know a lot of people that hate lung cancer. I know a lot of people that hate it up here in our hospital when they're 60 years old and they're dying and they can't breathe and they need oxygen. But it doesn't take very long to find someone who likes to smoke. Right? Do you know anyone that hates liver? What's the liver? You know, the sickness that you have when you drink too much. What is that? Exactly. You know exactly what it is, right? But it doesn't take too long to find someone that likes a nice cold bud, right? Or likes their uh, vodka on the rocks or their martinis. I better not say too much or you're going to think I like it. (laughs) It doesn't take too long. So you ponder this and you realize that God hates sin because of what it does to the people he loves. God's not trying to ruin our fun. That's what it's me through all of college. I was thinking that God was no fun and he was trying to ruin all my fun. He is the one that made us. He knows our manual. He hates sin because of what it does to his children. I hate the things that hurt my boys. hate it. I have come to the conclusion that the great controversy is so great amongst us right now. Satan is doing everything to destroy us. Did you know that? Do you think he's trying to destroy you? If not, I don't know what world you're living in. Because he's trying to destroy me every single day. He destroys us all sorts of ways. He destroys us with the food that we eat. He destroys us with the things we see. He destroys us with... You can name it, all the addictions out there. I'm going to confess that I was a bad Adventist this week. I went to the movies. Okay, back in the day, that was a bad Adventist boy. I got whooped by my dad when he found my movie to stick it in my pocket. 16 years old, I got whooped. I was afraid of my dad because I came from a Hispanic home where dad was and what he said that was going to happen and we didn't talk back I ne- did you know that I never talked back to my dad not once my boys talk back to me all the time but I never never talked back to my dad not one time in my life there was respect there but there was also fear and when I got that ticket that was found 16 years old he said David put your hands on the table And I was like, why? I couldn't understand. But I went to see a movie this week, and it was super powerful. And as I am speaking, my family is just coming through the door. My mom's family, the Espinosa family, the beautiful Espinosas. This is my family, church. Yeah, they're from Albuquerque, New Mexico. We started this little church in the hospital, and we're trying to make it grow, and you just made it grow right now. So it's wonderful to see you. Um, And I'm going to have, is she ready? Is she going to sing for me?
Can I have my cousin sing at the end? All right, she's my little cousin. She's once removed. Billie Jean on the end is my first cousin, and her family, will, will, you'll get to know them soon. But anyway, wow, that rocked my world. I don't even know how I can preach now after they walked in. But we're talking about the fact that God hates sin, right? God hates sin so much that he gave his son, and he hates sin because of what it does to us, how it destroys us. So I went to see a movie, and I went to see Oppenheimer. Have you heard of this movie? It's really big right now in the movies. It's about World War II. It's a real movie. It's not a fake movie. It's reality. It's a movie on what happened in Los Alamos, New Mexico in the 1940s. There in Los Alamos, have you ever been to Los Alamos, New Mexico? All right, you have? Pretty interesting, right? In Los Alamos, New Mexico really hits home for me because my uncles built that. Well, it came about, that project, the Manhattan Project came about. It was my uncles. It was her, it was her daddy that was part of the teams that built Los Alamos. That gives me goosebumps because it's the history of our country. At the same time, as we went through the movie, I realized how Satan destroys How does he destroy? With war, he destroys. Do you know that we wanted to build that bomb because Hitler was going to do it first? Did you know that? He was going to beat us to it. It was a race for that bomb. And that bomb, you can argue both ways on was it right, was it wrong. You know, obviously, I think all war is wrong. I have been on that side of the picture because I am a retired Air Force chaplain. I know what war does. And when Sister White talks about it in the great controversy, she says it's from Satan. But this was a race. And this Dr. Oppenheimer, he struggled with this all his life because he saw the destruction of what this bomb was going to do. But yet, He was also Jewish, and he also knew what Hitler was doing, that he was sending his own people to the camps. He knew that. And the end of the movie, the final scene, is this idea of nuclear war as it's spreading through the globe and how it's destroying our planet. And as I walked out of the theater, I realized that the only hope we have is Jesus. He's our only hope. Because if Jesus does not save us, we will destroy ourselves. That's how sin works. Sin is the loss of innocence. You don't get it back. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're adults. I think you get it, right? You're never, once you pass that, you never regain your innocence. So in our world, with evolution being taught, you It is taught that we have evolved into something better, right? It is taught that we came from microorganisms and now we are human beings and we just keep on evolving. But has our society shown that? No. It's absolutely easy to deny that because of the fact of nuclear war. This is the first time in our history that we can destroy ourselves. If we were able to destroy two cities in 1940s, just think what we have the capacity or the capability to do today. 
It's pretty, it's pretty serious, folks. But our hope is that we have Jesus and that he's going to save us from destroying ourselves. Amen? So why does God hate sin? Because it destroys his children. It hurts his children. That's why God hates sin. Number two, God does not know a sinner he does not love. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God does not know a sinner he does not love? Someone might say that's true for everyone else, but not for me. Yes, it's true for you. It's true for you too. Jesus said it, and don't forget it. Everyone who comes to me, I will never cast out, John 6, 37. This includes everybody, anybody. Second Peter 3, 9 says, tell, tells us that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. If we're his children, he wants to save all of us. Not some of us, not a few of us. He wants to save what? All of us. If you want to know how Jesus... How I want to know how Jesus treated sinners. You study the life of Jesus. There is no better devotional life. This changed my life. There is no better devotional life to, than to make the Gospels your priority. What do I mean by the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why? Because that's Jesus speaking. That's communication from heaven. Another one that will change your life because it changed mine was the desire of ages. If you want your life to change, you read that book. And when you get done with it, you read it again and again and again. And Billy Jean's dad, my uncle Willie, read that thing over and over and over and over again. My mother read it over and over again. I read it over and over again because it is Jesus talking to me. Incredible stuff. When you're finished, you go through it all over again. You start all over again because you're not reading these things like ordinary books. You're reading them as a method of communication from heaven. I've I've had people say, I can't believe God loves me. I remember a boy that was an airman in Tucson, and he'd say, I cannot go into the chapel. God will strike me dead. He'd say that to me all the time. I'd say, you know what? If that was the case, I'd be struck dead all of the time. Right? Get in there and see how Jesus treated people, some of the worst sinners. Then you can take courage and you can have hope concerning you. That's what the desire of ages does. I've seen it happen. I've seen it work as people begin to realize how much Jesus loves them. I want to tell you a story. Can I tell you a story? This happened... Uh, to Morris Venden. Do you all know who Morris Venden is? Any of you remember who Morris Venden? Morris Venden has passed away, but he was my favorite preacher. I love Morris Venden. And maybe I even copy him a little bit, but he copied HMS Richards because he used to hold his Bible and read it just like this. And he'd have a sermon else just like this. And he would just, you know, talk to you like this. And you felt like he was talking directly to you. And Morris Venden was a preacher's kid, so I really felt that he was talking to me. And Morris Venden, in his first job, he went to San Gabriel Academy. Do you know where that is? In California. And his first job, he was the Bible teacher and he was the pastor for San Gabriel Academy. Have you ever been there? It's a beautiful place. And that was his start to ministry. 
And he was on fire for the Lord, and he was teaching these kids about Jesus. And he had one student there that he got really close to, and his name was Floyd. Floyd, you see, had a really interesting background. Floyd came from a home where his mother was the Adventist, and his father was a nun Adventist. And so through all of grade school and through all his first three years of high school, Floyd went to high school. He didn't go to one of our academies. And Floyd went to high school, and Floyd started getting in trouble. Started drinking, started doing things that, you know, he was not supposed to do, and he was not going to make it through high school. Do you understand one of those type of kids that, you know, they better get their act together or they're not going to graduate. And his mother would always press him, you know what, you could go to academy. Somehow God will find a way and, and, and you can get to one of our academies. And he'd been at church with his mother, but then sometimes if he didn't want to go to church, he wouldn't go. And finally he realized that his life was in such a down, what, spiraling, downward effect. Have you ever been there? Where you feel like you're just going downhill and, you know, things aren't going right. And he thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to do what my mom wants me to do, and I'm going to go to academy. So he went to San Gabriel Academy, and that's where he met Morris Fenden. He didn't have a relationship with God. He didn't know who God was. He'd been to church, but, he, you know, he's a kid. He didn't really want anything to do with it. But now his life was in a mess. I'll try this. So he went to San Gabriel Academy, and in San Gabriel Academy, with Morris Vanden, he gave his life to Jesus, right? He loved, he loved Morris Vanden. He loved to hear his stories. And Morris Vanden, in his stories, would always speak about a certain person. Who was that person? I just said it. HMS Richards Sr. You know, he was the voice of prophecy. He, he, you know, all the young pastors, my, my father was a pastor in Central California Conference, and all the pastors loved HMS Richards. I mean, this guy was, he was it. He was, your parents loved the HMS Richards. Every Adventist in the 50s and 60s knew who HMS Richards was. He was the camp meeting number one speaker through all and every camp meeting in our denomination. Have you heard of him? Okay, some of you have heard of him. If you've been an Adventist all your life, you've heard of HMS Richards. And Elder Venden, Morris Venden, loved HMS. That was his hero. It was my dad's hero. You know? And so he would tell stories because HMS Richards traveled the country and he had angels with him and he had all kinds of stories where God had led his life. And then he'd share with them on what program? The Voice of Prophecy, right? That would come on. And so he shared these stories in his Bible class. And Floyd just loved those stories and gave his life to Jesus. Well, at the end of his senior year, Floyd's senior year, they fired Morris Venden. Did you know that? This is a story that is really not told in our church. They fired Morris Venden, and they fired him because he was preaching righteousness by faith. Righteousness by faith. They thought that it was way out there and that he shouldn't be preaching that. And so they fired him. This is California conference. Can you believe it? The most liberal conference on the planet. They fired him. And Floyd got really mad. He got really mad. 
And at that time, Morris even went to HMS and said, hey, you know, am I doing something wrong? And you know what HMS said? No, you're not. You keep preaching it, boy. You keep preaching. It seems like some of the conference people would have woken up. But instead, they fired him, and Floyd got really mad. And if he, and he said, if they're going to do this to my pastor, to my teacher, then I don't want anything to do with this church. He graduated from high school, and he joined the army. Joined the army. I had nothing to do with Adventism. He wanted nothing to do with that crazy church and how they treated his pastor, Morris Menden. Well, he was in Korea, you know, because that's what they do to us. They send us a year to Korea sometimes. We're not, we didn't volunteer for that, by the way. Okay. They sent him out to Korea and he was in Korea. Now he'd been in the army several years. He was in Korea and he was doing his thing. You know, Korea was, has always been one of our hotspots. We've always had, you know, troops there. And he was in Korea and one Friday night he got blasted. He got hammered. He decided, you know what? I'm getting hammered with the guys. He got hammered with the guys. He partied really hard, and he found himself in like a river, not a river, but like a, and he didn't know if it was a sewer or what it was, but it was a place that he knew he didn't want to be in. But he found himself there, and he sobered up, and that's where he was. Get the picture? So he comes out of this place, like out of this embankment. He comes up to the street, and there's the big, Korean buses, and have you ever seen those Korean buses? They, they, they are like really um, square in the front. And he thought to himself, you know what? I've had it with my life. I, I'm just not happy anymore. I'm just going to jump in front of this bus. You know, I just can't take life anymore. I hate the military. I hate my life. I hate that I'm just a drunk. I'm just sick of it. And he's ready to go in front of a bus, and all of a sudden, a gentleman put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, what's wrong, young man? And it was in English. Remember, he's in Seoul, Korea. It was in English. And he looked, and there this guy had a hat on and glasses, rim wire glasses, and he put his hand, and he said, what's wrong? And he just said, hey, you know, you know, he could tell that this kid was, in not, was not in a good place, and he said, come with me. He just said, come with me. I want you to come with me. And, you know, as an American, it's an American to America, and you're in Seoul, Korea. So he says, okay, I'll go with you. And he went with him, talked to him for some reason that's like the Holy, obviously the Holy Spirit was talking to Floyd. So he went with him, and he followed him, and they went to this compound where there was a bunch of Korean people, and he didn't know who they were or what they were all about. And they called up the speaker. Where have you been? Where were you? We've been looking for you. It's time for you to preach. And they introduced him, and it was HMS Richards. It was HMS Richards. The the man that he had heard about all his life. You understand how incredible that was? Floyd went to that meeting. Floyd gave his life to Jesus, and Floyd became a minister. In our denomination. How's that for a story? So do you think that God loves sinners? It didn't matter that Floyd had gone to the gutter and gotten drunk and was ready to take his life. God loves sinners. That's great hope for you and me. If it's not for you, it's definitely for me. It's definitely for me.
Number three, God does not know a sin he won't forgive. What were the other two? God hates sin, right? Because it's what it does to us. What was number two? God does not know. We got an A student right here. That's why they sit in the front. God does not know a sinner he does not love. And God does not know a sin he won't forgive. I'm going to say that again. God does not know a sin he won't forgive. Do you believe that? You know that my parents wanted me to convert when I was a young college student. And I love to dance. And I like to party because I'm an Espinosa. Can't help it. I said, it happened to you. That's what I told my parents. It happened to you. Maybe it will happen to, maybe it will happen to me. My parents were praying. My mom. Do you remember my mom, Billy? You knew my mother? Oh. If she doesn't make it, forget about it. We're not making it. That's not true. That's just the way I think about me. My mom was a saint. And she daily prayed for me. Daily prayed for me. You know, she would find things in my pocket that I was consuming. And she would just cry. She wouldn't get mad at me. She would just say, David, why are you doing that? It's just hurting you. I never felt judged by her. I just felt loved by her. She just kept praying for me. Then it, one day it finally hit me. Elder Vendon's sermon hit me like a ton of bricks. I remember I was at Southwestern Adventist College. We don't change our lives in order to come to Jesus. We come to him just as we are, and he changes our lives. I remember that with all my heart. I was there as a young kid just being stupid. I remember those, what he said. That's the sentence that he said. We come just as we are. And my lights came on. I started reading my Bible in Segunto, Spain, where I went to be a foreign exchange student. The miracle of the new birth happened. It was amazing. We can't do it ourselves. We, can, we can't do it for anyone else, but we can pray. And that's what my mother knew, did all the time. She prayed for that new birth for me. And the good news finally penetrates. We come to Jesus just as we are, and he gives us forgiveness. Then comes the solution. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to what? Forgive us and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. That's repentance. Did you know in the same chapter, Jesus says, all manner of sin shall be forgiven. That would include the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin. When I was a young person, I thought I'd committed the unpardonable sin. You ever felt that way? That you committed the unpardonable sin. And I realized that it's so easy. The unpardonable sin is this easy. It's the sin that you don't ask forgiveness for. That's how easy it is. Did you get that? The unpardonable sin is the one that you just don't ask pardon for. What about the Holy Spirit? He's the one trying to get us to confess and ask for pardons. So it's just that simple. The pardonable sin is the one we just don't ask forgiveness for. 
Away with this idea that look, God looks at us from heaven and says, I've had it with you. Have you ever felt that way as a Christian? Have you ever felt that way as a Seventh-day Adventist? That you finally, finally, there's no way God's listening to you. Because you know better. And you keep doing the same thing over and over again. And you know better. I thought to my time, to myself many times that I'd blown it. I thought many times to myself that I wasn't sincere. Look at all the times I promised you God and failed. I have to know that you're done with me. You ever felt that way? I am. God had to be done with me. I'm a bozo. Why do I keep doing this? And I realized that God never does that. You know why? Because I had my sons. And I don't forgive them once or twice. I think it's thousands of times. I don't even know the number. And I don't care. Because I love them. I forgive them. Great news to see that God does not know a sin he won't forgive. Look at the people of Israel. Decades, centuries, hundreds of years, up and down, up and down. Finally, Jesus walked away and wept for that nation, but not for the individual. Never for the individual. God does not know a sin he won't forgive. So let's see what kind of class you are. What are the three points so far? God does not... Sin that he does not hate. Two, God does not know a sinner he does not love. Number three, God does not know a sin he won't forgive. And number four, God does not know a better time than right now. God does not know a better time than right now. Here's where we get to a point of decision, conversion. How can a Christian eat or breathe if he hasn't been born yet? For a Christian to eat and breathe is to read the Bible and pray. But when I told my parents, the miracle hadn't happened in my life. I hadn't been born again. It was in Spain I was born again. I started reading my Bible. Before the new birth, you don't even have the capacity for the relationship with Christ. Did you know that? Because the miracle of conversion changes your attitude towards God. Now the words of the Bible start speaking to you because your attitude towards God has what? Changed. You don't see him in that same way. Today the question is, have you been converted? Yes or no? You can answer that on your own. I think there's a lot of Adventists that come to church. They're playing church. They're playing church. They're playing that they're good. They're playing that they don't wear makeup. They're playing that they don't wear rings. They're playing that they don't go to movies. They're playing that they don't see bad stuff on their TV. They're playing all these good things. But are they converted? Yes or no? Because there's a big difference, people. There's a big difference. I know one thing. The reason why I was led to conversion is because of my mother. I know that. Number one, she didn't judge me. 
Number two, she was praying for me all the time. My mother was praying for me all the time. So how do we help someone be converted? Is to pray for them all the time. If you want your kids converted, you got to pray for them all the time. Because they wear a tattoo does not mean they're not converted. Because they wear an earring does not mean they're not converted. We've come to this idea that we want to be these perfect little Adventists. That doesn't mean you're converted. What's converted is your heart. One of my churches just that I pastored asked me to take off my wedding ring. You know what I told them? I said, you know what? Is that going to change my heart? I'll do it. And I did it. Because I don't want to hurt the, the person that thinks it's wrong. I don't want them to be judging me. But at the same time, did that change my heart? No. I was still the same person. I was led to conversion because my mother was lifting Jesus up. Did you get that? Church, now I'm preaching. We talked about class, but now I'm preaching. Why was I converted? Because my mother was lifting Jesus up. I knew Jesus because of my mother. I knew what he was like because of my mother. I didn't have to see a TV evangelist. I didn't have to have someone in the church tell me who Jesus was. I didn't have to tell someone on the radio to tell me who he was. I didn't have to have the president tell me, you know, the former or the past or the present tell me who he was. My mother told me who he was. Every day, she lifted Jesus up. And Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will what? Draw all people to me. You see, if you lift Jesus up, people are going to be drawn to you. But if you lift all the rules up, if you lift all the behaviors up, if you lift all those, you know, those cat kids should come into church because you got shorts on, my little cousin. I don't care what my boys come in as long as they come to church, baby. That's all I care about. Come to church, sons. Come just as you are. Because Jesus will change your life. All people will be drawn to him if we lift it up. And he can be lifted up verbally. Did you know that? Jesus can be lifted up verbally, but he can also be lifted up non-verbally. How you present yourself, your eyes, how you demonstrate when that kid comes in with shorts. Oh, man. Kid, please, wear shorts, man. What's up with that? Doesn't he know it's church? See? But no, be that person that goes and hugs that kid. You know? I hated tattoos until my son got a tattoo. Now I see kids that have tattoos in a whole different way. That doesn't mean I like them. But I don't judge that kid and I do not not love him because he has it. Because I see him differently. My parents were the most strict conservative, good Seventh-day Adventists. They hated homosexuality until their son was gay. Then their whole attitude changed. Now, they might not like the behavior, but they sure loved my brother. And they loved any gay person that came through those doors. Do you get the point? 
When he is lifted up in both ways, these people will be drawn to him. God does not know a better time than right now. A better time to do what? To come to him for the miracles that he has promised. If Jesus walked into the Castle Rock Church, we couldn't promise him that we would never sin again. Right? Could we do that? If Jesus walked in right now, could we promise him, oh, Jesus, will never sin again. We'll just be like those people after the golden calf. We'll never sin again. Actually, they said they never would. They would follow all the rules, and then the next minute they were worshiping the calf. Remember that? We would never sin again because growing Christians often fail and fall. But we can't agree to get acquainted with him. That's a doable. Is that a doable? Can we agree to get acquainted with him? This is life eternal, that they may know God and Jesus Christ, who thou hast sent. That is the decision I have to make. This is my top priority. You see, because my biggest sin and my biggest temptation, I tell this to my boys every day, my biggest sin, my biggest temptation is to live my life apart from him. That's my biggest temptation. My biggest sin is to live my life apart from him. So that I go to the table, I don't even think about how he's provided for me. Do you understand what I'm saying? When I have that roof over my head, I don't even think about how he's the one that put that roof over my head. When I go to sleep at night, I don't even think about the fact that there are angels there protecting me so someone might not hurt me. That's my biggest temptation. That is the, the, the decision that we have to make. Do we want to be acquainted with him and do we want him to be our top priority and our best friend? Amen.